we do welcome you on this uh, holy day. I think the church uh, loses something when it forgets that there are special days in which God uh, calls us to come together and He blesses us in a special way. And Easter is one of those, uh, one of those days. So thank you all uh, for being here. We're going to continue our look at Romans, but I'm going to explain a few things about Romans that have to do specifically with this great day and with the resurrection of Jesus. Now, I don't know if all of you believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Um, There's no way to prove it to you that he rose from the dead. It's a choice. You have to believe. I told you last week that faith is not something that you conjure up in your in your soul. It's not some power or force that you have. Faith is simply believing. It's choosing to put your faith in something. And uh, that's all the more it is. It's very simple. And so we're going to talk about that and why that is so important, uh, especially with respect to the resurrection. While the resurrection is good news, the question has to be asked, why is there a resurrection at all? What in the world is going on? And so let's take, uh, your bulletin has the text printed, and it's printed in the New Living Translation. I know this is a loose paraphrase. It's not exactly word for word, but it's a very good translation just to read and understand the context. And wherever the uh, NLT gets off, I will make sure to let you know. And and, uh, let's read this together now. Hear the Word of God. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with Him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writing of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, and this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard, Yet God in His grace freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed their life, shedding His blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when He held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For He was looking ahead and including them in what He would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate His righteousness. For He Himself is fair and just. He makes sinners right in His sight when they believe in Jesus. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No. Because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. After all, is God the God of the Jews only? Isn't He also God of the Gentiles? Of course He is. There is only one God. He makes people right with Himself only by faith. Whether they are Jews or Gentiles, well then, if we emphasize faith, 
Does this mean that we can forget about the law? Of course not. In fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, when we started this series a few weeks ago, I told you that Paul wrote this letter to a group of Christians in the city of Rome who he had never visited. He had not been to Rome. Now, he did eventually make his way to Rome. In fact, church history said he was martyred there in Rome. He was beheaded uh, by Nero. But what Paul does in this magnificent letter is he explains to people why the world is the way it is. Why people are the way they are. He answers some amazingly complex and cosmic questions that every person in this room asks at one point or another. Why is the world, why is Ukraine uh, getting bombed into oblivion? And why is there cancer? And why are there miscarriages? And why are there divorces? And why is there such suffering of, of innocent people, truly innocent people who don't deserve it? Why are they get, Why is the world like? Why did God make the world like this? And week by week, I've told you, Paul makes it clear. God did not make the world like this. We did. He did not create tanks and guns and crosses and graves. He didn't do that. He created a world, and in Genesis 1, it says it was a good world. Now, it wasn't all a, a, a paradise. The world was the world. Whatever it was back, and I believe millions of years ago, whatever it was, God planted a garden and He put two people in that garden and He said to them, be fruitful and multiply and go into the earth and plenish, not replenish, plenish. The Hebrew word is very clear. Make it a garden. I give you all the tools you need. Eat from every tree that's in this garden. Nourish yourself, the tree of life. Be alive, not dead. Trust me. This is what he said in the garden to two people. Trust me with your life. The tree of life. Go, go eat from the tree of life. But you all know the story. It's not a myth. The serpent tempted this couple, and they ate from the tree, and the world has been plunged into chaos and corruption, and God had every right in the world to destroy this universe and start over, but in His magnificent and amazing grace, He said no. In chapter 3 of Genesis, God said to mankind, to you and me and everyone who's ever lived. I will raise the dead. And he did. Adam and Eve were doomed to death. He covered them with the skins of animals and kept them alive. And as Paul said just a moment ago, he was waiting and waiting and he knew what he would do. He had a son and that son looked upon this world, Jesus Christ, and he said to his father, you love these people, I love these people. And the father said, will you go? And Jesus said, I will go. I will raise them from the dead. How? How's he going to do that? 
God did not create death. He didn't create the evil that we see around us. We need to stop blaming Him for all the suffering in the world. We cause that suffering. Some of us are guilty of much suffering. And some of us, very little. But nevertheless, we better own it and quit pointing our finger at God. And so in the first two chapters of Romans, which we've already looked at, and those of you that haven't been here, just go read it. It takes two minutes. You will see that Paul is making a case that something dramatic has to happen with mankind because we have never been able to save ourselves. And salvation is not just dying and going to heaven. It's being right with God. How do you get right with God? And look, folks, there's only two ways to get right with God. He either demands you to obey Him and follow sets of rules, and it doesn't matter. Pick your rules. Ten Commandments are great. Golden Rule is great. You can go to any of the major religions of the world and find good rules. Follow them won't make you right with God because you won't be able to follow them completely. And a lot of times you'll be following those laws, even the Ten Commandments, out of fear or obligation or some other crazy reason. Your heart is not right. It's wrong. That's what happened. In the garden, we lost something. And Paul explains it in excruciating detail. And then we come to this passage and he says, But now... Perhaps two of the most important words you'll ever hear in your life. But now, He has done something. Why? Because human beings and every one of us is guilty of this. In Romans 1, He says, we suppress the truth and while we're holding it down, we replace it with a lie. This is what our parents did. And this is what Derek Kidner, Old Testament professor, had to say about it. Listen. Talking about Eve in the garden. She saw. She took. She ate. She gave. So simple the act. The act. So hard, it's undoing. Now listen, this is the rest of the quote I haven't given you each week. So hard, it's undoing. God, in the person of Jesus Christ, His Son, will taste poverty and death before the words take and eat become salvation. In the garden, take and eat brought death to mankind. And Jesus comes and He says, take and eat and you will live. And churches have argued over what all this is, you know, all the different doctrines. But the holy table of our Lord Jesus should be the one place 
that everyone lays our, our swords and knives down and we come together to this table. Amen, right? I don't care what your background, I don't care what your denomination, it doesn't matter. Do you believe in Jesus? Take and eat. The fruit killed us. The bread and the bloody, the blood of Jesus bring us life. So let me just talk briefly this morning about three things. How are you made right with God? We're going to conclude this. How are you made right with God? There's only two ways. Either merit, something you do, or grace. Now every religion in the world, doesn't matter who, what it is, every religion in the world, including parts of Christianity, I'm sad to say that, but every religion says you must do something to make yourself acceptable to God, whatever you believe God is. You've got to do something. You've got to be somewhere. You've got to behave somehow. You've got to think something. Or maybe you believe in five pillars of Islam and you do those five. You make the hajj. You, give, you, know, you do all the things you're supposed to do. Or maybe you're a, a, a Hindu and you do all the things that the Hindu religion requires for its 375,000 gods in their pantheon. Or if you're a Roman Catholic or an Eastern Orthodox or a Protestant Christian, many of us believe that we've got to do something. We've got to do something to get God to like us. And Paul says, but now something has changed. Christianity is entirely different than every other religion. I don't say that with any pride. I mean, in fact, I'm humbled by that because if, if, if you're not humbled by that, then there's some pride in your heart thinking that you can bring something in your hand that God will say, wow, that's pretty cool. Do you realize what he has seen? Our God, do you realize, if you believe in God, do you see what he's seen? We bring stuff in our hands. We say, how about this? Will this satisfy you? Why? Why does that not satisfy God? Because he's seen another hand. A hand that had holes in it. A brow that was crushed with thorns. A body that was beaten and cut open with a spear. Tortured and put on a cross. Do we have anything we're going to bring to that table? Anything at all? Is death, is death going to be averted by anything that you and I can do? You know how crazy people are? People with money, they freeze themselves. That's pretty funny. They freeze themselves. Or they freeze their brain or whatever. Some part of them. They freeze themselves because they think, they pay enormous amounts of money, because they think someday we're going to figure this out and I can be brought back. You'll have frostbite. I mean, what are they thinking? Look at these passages, 21, 22, 24, 25, 26, 
Look how many times the Apostle Paul says, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of any law. Now, he's not saying you're not going to obey the law. Oh, yes, you are. He finishes with that. We'll talk about that in a minute. Look at verse 22. We're made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus for everyone who believes. 24. Yet God in His grace freely makes us right through His Son Jesus who freed us from the penalty of sin. Verse 25. God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. The word is propitiation or hilasterion and I'll talk about that in a moment. When we believe in Jesus, that He sacrificed His blood. 26. God makes sinners right when we believe in Jesus. All the past, present, and future are all compressed into that one moment when Jesus walked this earth, died on that cross, was put in a grave, suffered the vagaries of death and hell, then rose from the dead. That... God was looking at that from the time of creation until the time of the end. Everyone who would believe in that, he would count as righteous. He would say, you know, I will forgive you. And I will put you in union with my son. I'll connect you to him. So that we never have to look at our works again. Now you think, uh, well, you know, Pastor Chuck, he certainly would. I struggle with this every day. I want to be accepted on my merit because I work hard. I'm very holy. I'm paid to be holy. I am a holy professional person. And every one of you should recognize that. Folks, it's no joke. I go every day. I struggle with God. Every day I leave this church, I go home and I ask Marty V, how was my sermon? Because I live and die by all these other things the same way you do. And God help us. They can't give you life. Which one of these things are going to die for you? Which one is going to go to a cross and go suffer in a grave for three days? Who's going to do that? Money looks The Kardashians? Who's going to do that for you? Who's going to come into this world and for nothing, free, tell you, I love you. I will go in the ground. You will not see the ground or the grave. You will die and your eyes will open and you will behold the face of your Savior blazing with radiant glory and you will run and jump into His arms and you will shine like Him. This is the joy of Christ, the joy of being a Christian. It takes the burden off our back. And if you're a Christian and you're under a burden and you're saying, oh God, I just can't believe, I don't have enough faith, blah, blah, blah. Listen, listen. If the obedience to the law or some other set of moral standards would contribute in any way to us being made right, could be 1%, the 99% grace, 1% me. If there's even 1%, if there's a, any part 
then you are no longer talking about grace. You're talking about something else. So don't use the word grace. Grace is all on its own. It stands. It is free. It is no way to get it without it being given entirely by someone else at their expense. That's the definition of grace. I will give you this because I love you. Why do you love me? Because I love you. There's nothing lovely in you. But as St. Augustine or one of those old guys said, by loving the unlovable, he made the unlovable lovable. Our worth is not in what we owe. This hymn this morning, our, our worth is not in what we own. It's not that. Our worth is knowing Christ. It's having Him because that's all. Listen, folks, that is all that's going to go with you. My son Daniel and I took the ashes of my dear friend from high school, Ivan Enriquez, uh, who came, used to come to church and hang out with us. He had nothing. He was, he was a mess. Anyway, he was cremated. He died. We had him cremated. And I drove up Scenic Drive, and my son Daniel took the little box of ashes, and we spread his ashes all over El Paso. So some of you have been breathing in uh, Ivan. And <laughs> I'm sure he got a kick out of that. And as I was driving the car and Daniel had the box and he's letting the ashes go, I thought to myself, how deceived we are by the glitter in this world, by the, the beads, like they, they, the pilgrims uh, traded beads for Manhattan, you know, these glass beads. How paltry. The devil comes to us with this stuff and he says, look how great. Then we go, oh, good. Well, look at how great that is. Ah, And we take it and we eat it and it doesn't taste that good, does it? It's not as good as you thought it would be. It looks a lot better than it tastes. How are we right with God? Merit or grace? Now, Paul at the end of this passage ends with three questions. Take a look at these questions, 27 and 28. He asks the question and he answers them. That's a very rabbinical way of teaching. They know what they're doing. They're like good lawyers. In fact, a lot of them were lawyers. They would ask questions that they knew the answer to, and they expected their students to answer the question as they thought, and then they would correct them. So this is how they learn. It was a Socratic uh, type of Socratic method of learning. Questions, answers, dialogue, Debate, that kind of thing. Three questions, verse 27 and 28. Look, can we boast that we have done anything to be accepted by God? I want you to ask the question. Ask it of yourself. Have you done anything that God will accept? Now, if you say, and people do this all the time, look, I've been a good person. I have tried my best. I've been sincere. I'm better than this person. 
I'm, I'm not as bad as that person. We've gone through all those things. We've made all these judgments in our mind about ourselves and others, which itself is a sin large enough to send you to hell. Do you understand that? That kind of pride, I'm better than, I'm better than them, that alone is enough. We don't need the Ten Commandments. Don't worry. The Ten Commandments will never be rolled out against any of you or me. What's going to be rolled out against us is a tape recorder that I told you. If we had a tape recorder and it was hanging around our neck, this is Francis Schaeffer. Of course, when Schaeffer said it, that's how you captured audio, was with a tape recorder. If you don't know what that is, go home and Google. Tape recorder around your neck. And on the day of your death, God's going to take the tape recorder and push replay, and He'll only judge you by that stuff that you said, that you did, the judgments that you made on other people. Oh, look at them, look at this, look at that. They never came. They only came to church on Easter. No, don't, don't get guilt. I'm just kidding with you. Think about it. Just that, that kind of judgment of other people, putting other people down, that's enough. And who hasn't done that? Can we boast? No. We cannot boast. Look at the next question, 29 and 30. Is God the God of the Jews only? Is He not only God of the Gentiles? Of course not. God, only one God makes people right. Only by faith. It, what he's saying is, I don't care what you've heard, people. Humanity, I don't care what you've heard. There's only one God. And He's the only one that makes people right by faith. Everybody else does it some other way. If there were other people. They're really not. But he says, he's asking you to think. There's only one God. And He's the God of all people. And so if He is the God of all people, not just Jews, not... No, Jews and Gentiles, that's everybody, because in the Jewish world there were only two kinds of people, Jews and Gentiles. Everyone belongs to Him. He makes people right by faith. And then He says this, if we emphasize faith, can we forget the law? No, of course not. Only by faith do we truly fulfill the law. What he is saying in that statement is that all those rules, those Ten Commandments for Christians, they all still apply. But the way that you fulfill them is having faith in Jesus. Why? What? Because he fulfilled them. He fulfilled the law. Every single commandment. Not just the letter, the heart of it, the spirit of it. He came with all His spiritual might. And He fought with Satan in the wilderness and every day after that. And in theology we call that His perfect obedience. Perfectly. And God is saying, you can't do it, but He did it. Will you trust Him? Now how hard is that? I don't have enough faith. I, I can't believe. My faith is really weak. 
Folks, faith is not something you have that you try to conjure up. It's not something inside of you. It's not some subjective feeling. It's not some kind of of attitude or resignation. Well, I guess I'll just have faith and step off this cliff. It's none of that. Faith is simply a choice. That's all it is. Every day, you make simple choices to believe certain things. You push a button on the app in your phone to pay a bill and you believe that the money is going to go there. Some of us even believe the money will go there when it's red. That's how strong our faith is. And what that tells us is your faith is nothing more than a decision that you're going to trust somebody and that the strength of that faith, the character of that faith, the amount of that faith is utterly dependent upon what you are putting your faith in. Yourself or in Jesus Christ. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the law no longer becomes a burden. In fact, you will read the Ten Commandments and you will say, I I love this. I know I'm not going to be able to do it, I mean, I, but I love it. It's beautiful. Thou shalt not steal. I, I'm going to do everything I can not to steal. Why? Not to get merit from God, but because it will please my Heavenly Father who loved me this way, who loved me this much. Every one of you that's parents, you know that. You want your kids to to respect you and to honor you as the Ten Commandments say because they love you and respect you and fear you in a good way. Not because they're trying to earn merit from you. And and every one of us does that, by the way. I made my boys earn merit every single ounce of love from me. I was the worst parent. Well, maybe not the worst. But it was all about performance. I would come to church and preach the gospel and still hold them to that performance. Well, Faith is a choice, folks. It is believing. And when you come here to a church, if you come on Sunday, if you come on Easter, anytime you come and you hear this message, every one of you is capable of saying yes. Now, it doesn't matter that uh, you may already be a Christian. Every day, you're going to need to say yes to Jesus, right? Every morning, you get up in the morning and you say, I don't know what this day holds, but yes to you. You love me, I love you back. And I decide today I will trust you. And you go to work and the coffee's been burned, it's been sitting in the thing for whatever long and the boss is mad and there's, your paycheck is less for some crazy reason. Who knows? You look at everything and you're like, ah, I'm going to trust you. Or you go to the doctor and the doctor says, bad news, I'm going to trust you. The phone call comes, your child has died in a terrible car accident. I'm going to trust you. I don't like this, God, but I'm going to trust you. Can you do that? Can everyone in this room do that? Yeah, everyone can. 
Whether you, you can do it right now. If you don't believe, you can say, I'm going to believe in Jesus. I'm going to trust you, Jesus. And if you trust Jesus, you're going to say, you know what? Easter Sunday, I'm going to start trusting you every single day for every little thing. On Easter, of all the days in the world, even more so than Christmas, on Easter, God holds out to the world. He just holds out to the world a story of love, sacrifice, redemption, that is beyond our... We would never have invented this kind of God. He holds us out, holds this out to you. A living Savior, not a dead Savior. Go find His grave. It's not there. It's empty. It's been empty since the day that He rose from the dead, and they've never found it. And don't think they spared any expense trying to find His body. These were powerful political people, Roman soldiers, Roman governors and the Sanhedrin of Israel, they had resources you can't believe. If they wanted that body, they could have found it. It wasn't there. We have a living Savior. The grave and the resurrection, the cross of Jesus Christ, that manger that He was born in, that makes us right with Him. You're not going to find another way to be right with God without this man. And if you say, I don't have enough faith, I have a lot of doubts, I, I don't know how to get more faith, join the club. I don't have enough faith. I don't even know where to go get more faith. Where would you go get it? So on this Easter, I'm going to give you the words of Horatius Bonar one more time, but I'm going to give you the whole quote. Listen carefully. The strength and kind of faith required is nowhere stated. The Holy Spirit has said nothing as to the quantity or quality on which so many dwell and over which they stumble remaining all their days in darkness and uncertainty because we wonder, do I have enough? Do I have enough? Is it good enough? Remaining all their days in darkness and uncertainty, no. It is simply in believing, feeble as our faith may be, that we are invested with this righteousness. For by faith, faith is no work no merit, no effort, but rather the cessation, the quitting of all that. Stop trying to believe. Stop trying to have more faith. Just look to Jesus. Look at Him. Listen. The cessation from all these and the acceptance in place of them of something another has done. Get our eyes off ourselves. Look at what he did. Quit looking. Well, what can I do? Nothing. The acceptance in place of what another has done, done completely and forever. The simplest, listen, the simplest, feeblest 
faith suffices. For it is not the excellence of our act of faith that does anything for us, but the excellence of him who suffered for sin. The just for the unjust that he might bring us to God. Now listen to the end. Faith does not come to Calvary to do anything. It comes to see the glorious spectacle of all things done and to accept this completion without any misgivings as to its efficacy. It listens to the it is finished of the sin bearer and says, Amen. Will you trust Him? Put your faith in Him. I pray you will.